Welcome to Navigating to Net Zero, an inside look from Macquarie Asset Management at what's really involved in transforming their global portfolio of infrastructure, agricultural, and real estate assets to support the transition to a low-carbon and climate-resilient economy and build sustainable long-term value. I'm Rebecca Darst, the host of this series and the founder of Investable Universe. In this episode, we'll explore how an agriculture company in Australia is traveling the real road to net zero emissions, largely on the backs of cows. That's right, enteric methane emissions from cattle and other livestock are a major contributor to rising global temperatures. But in today's podcast, you'll learn about the innovative ways modern primary production practices are being implemented to produce high-quality, natural food and fiber in a sustainable way that not only improves the resilience of our natural landscapes, but also returns natural ecosystems to a state of environmental equilibrium. When it comes to decarbonizing agricultural production systems, will the future of farming look more like the past? Farming and agriculture settlement by humans has been a feature of life on Earth for the past 12,000 years. In no other industry are sustainability and productivity more inherently linked. Increasingly, progressive farmland managers are leveraging the symbiotic relationship between soils, plants, and animals to improve the resilience and biodiversity of natural ecosystems, while also providing vital ecosystem services that benefit the rest of society, including sequestering significant amounts of carbon dioxide in soils and woody vegetation to offset the effects of climate change. As the custodians of over 4.7 million hectares of natural landscapes, MAM Agriculture and Natural Assets is dedicated to improving the quality, productivity, and resilience of the natural assets it manages. In December 2020, MAM committed to managing its portfolio in line with net zero emissions by 2040, 10 years ahead of the Paris Agreement, and recognizes the unique opportunity it has to lead the transition to a low-carbon economy through the implementation of large-scale, cost-effective emissions reduction and carbon capture initiatives across its farmland portfolio. Enter Paraway Pastoral Company, a pastoral and cropping business operating 27 commercial farming operations in northern, central, and southern Australia, with a combined capacity of more than 220,000 beef cattle and 250,000 sheep. Besides red meat production for the fast-growing Australia and Asia-Pacific markets, Paraway's land portfolio also spans dryland and irrigated cropland used for growing cereal crops, legumes, rice, cotton, and livestock feed. As you'll hear from Paul McDougall, Paraway's manager of natural capital, Paraway has taken a holistic whole-of-farming approach, along with help from guidelines issued by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, to cut its methane emissions by 30%, working with processes that are natural to ruminating animals and farmland rather than struggling against them. How are they getting it done? Here's more from our conversation with Paraway's Paul McDougall. Paul McDougall, Manager, Natural Capital, thank you for speaking with me today. Would you give our listeners an overview of Paraway as well as your role there? So Paraway started in 2007. We're a diversified agricultural company. We've got cattle, beef cattle enterprises, sheep, uh, as well as some dry land and irrigated cropping. My role within the business is to lead a team that is implementing our decarbonisation and natural capital strategies. So sector-wide, what role do you think agriculture and natural assets are going to play uh, in reaching global temperature goals? I think they're going to play a big role. What we need to do, though, is, uh, is like any other business, is to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels. But then uh, when we're talking about livestock methane, uh, while it's not going to be the saviour uh, for climate change that some people will have you believe, it will buy us time. Um, so if we can reduce methane emissions now, it'll give us more opportunity to reduce 
uh, or give us more time to reduce fossil fuel emissions going forward. Maybe you could uh, describe some of the key emissions from your agricultural production systems and how do they vary across the portfolio? Sure. So like most businesses, we have electricity and fuel emissions, but by far the biggest emission that we have is uh, via is methane via livestock digestion. Uh, And it varies across uh, our different businesses, depending on whether we're breeding livestock or growing them out and trading them, Uh, grazing native pastures versus improved pastures, you know, cattle versus sheep. Are you looking at emissions across your operations as a whole, or do you look at it from a per unit standpoint? Uh, We look at both total emissions and our emissions intensity But when we look at our livestock methane and our crops, we think about emissions intensity. And the reason that we do that is because the world needs agriculture, the world needs food. So it's our obligation to produce that food with the least impact to the climate and to the environment. So emissions intensity gives us a a way of measuring how efficiently we are producing uh, the food that the world needs. What are some of the unique opportunities that Paraway has to combat climate change as an agriculture firm that aren't available in other asset classes? We operate over such a vast land mass that we have opportunities to sequester carbon and to take carbon out of the atmosphere, sequestering it in um, our soils and in woody vegetation through natural processes. Talk our listeners through Paraway's approach to establishing the net zero target and how you developed an abatement plan to meet that challenge. The first thing we had to understand was the difference between our fossil fuel emissions and the what we call biogenic emissions, which are our livestock emissions. And the, and the fundamental difference there is that a fossil fuel emission, the carbon source comes from in the ground, uh, where it was safely stored for millennia, whereas a livestock emission, the carbon source is from the atmosphere. So what we what we did was we split out those two sources and we set reduction targets for our fossil fuel emissions, uh, which, you know, there's a reduction component and then there'll be a offset or inset requirement at the end of that for residual emissions. And you also took cues from IPCC guidelines on methane emissions targets? For the methane, we've adopted the emissions intensity target, um, which we have said will be a 30% reduction uh, and it'll be achieved through herd productivity and genetics and feed supplements. And again, if there's any residual uh, to get us that we need to get us to that 30%, then that will be done through our on-farm sequestration activities. How far do farmers globally need to reduce emissions in order to meet that goal? Uh, that's not an easy question to answer. The problem is that for livestock producers and, and methane producers, is that we're all lumped in together. So we're lumped in with natural gas producers and coal seam gas and the fossil fuel industry. The science says a 30% reduction in methane is required. That's relatively easy for a gas company or a fossil fuel company to uh, reduce their fugitive emissions. It's a lot more difficult for a livestock producer who is trying to manage a rumen which is the stomach of the animal, which has evolved over the last 40 million years and trying to get a 30% reduction in 10 years. What are some examples of initiatives that Paraguay is going to look to in the coming years to reduce the emissions intensity of your livestock operations, as well as to increase carbon insets? As I said, we've come so far already. We're looking at the genetics of our herd for increased growth rates and better fertility. You know, if you have 
animals that aren't productive, then you know they're, they're still producing methane. We've already converted a lot of our water bores across to solar from either diesel or, or electric. Uh, we've also installed a lot of rooftop solar at um, several of the stations, and we're looking to increase that. In the cropping side of things, we've adopting low and no-till cropping, which means that you don't have excess fertilizer, which becomes can become nitrous oxide emissions. And we've also implemented several water efficiency projects. So one asset that Paraway has that so many other companies do not have is a significant base of natural capital. Is that something you can leverage, for example, into carbon capture and storage and technologies like that? Yeah, we, we've identified several large areas on some of our stations where you know, we've done the numbers and we'll potentially get a better return from using them as a natural carbon storage than from the livestock production. So the opportunity there is that we could have surplus carbon that we could monetize and we can help other companies to achieve their net, net zero targets. So how successful have your decarbonization efforts been so far? We started a... Um, Emissions Reduction Fund, an Australian government initiative to uh, reduce emissions from our beef herd. We were the first company in the world to do that. Uh, And we're coming up to the sixth year of that project. And through implementing herd management activities to reduce our emissions intensity, we've been credited over 200,000 carbon credits for our efforts to date. So it shows that we can do it. So how do these abatement measures impact your operating costs? Well, most of our livestock productivity measures over time have minimal costs because they lead to the production outcomes. In terms of environmental plantings and those insetting on that sequestration side, tree plantings can be quite expensive. For example, if you plant your trees to form a shelter belt that provides protection for uh, animals that are calving or lambing, then you can get a, a production outcome, you can get a biodiversity outcome, and, and you can get a carbon outcome as well. So what are some of the synergistic effects of emissions abatement measures in agriculture? When we talk about grazing animals, they've been around and they've co-evolved with these grasslands. If we optimise how we are grazing our animals, then we're optimising how the grasses are growing and how much the cycling of the carbon is happening. So there's a a really good outcome if you can sustainably and effectively manage your grasslands using your livestock, where you get your production outcome, but at the same time, you get more carbon sequestered into the soil. And that carbon in the soil adds to the fertility of the soil, which produces more grass. And so it it can just build upon itself. We believe that there's a a great opportunity for us to um, have surplus carbon that we can offer to other companies to help that don't have that opportunity to sequester the carbon to help them achieve their targets. Paul McDougall, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. A final note. During our conversation, Paul McDougall explained to us that a key part of Paraway's approach to carbon emissions cutting is to harness the power of the biogenic methane cycle. It starts with plants, which absorb CO2 from the atmosphere, releasing oxygen into the air, and storing the carbon as carbohydrates, which are consumed by cows and other ruminating livestock. The animals then expel this carbon as biogenic methane, CH4, into the atmosphere, where it is converted back into CO2, and the whole cycle, a carbon-neutral one developed and modeled by Mother Nature, starts again. Ruminate on that. 
Thank you for listening to an episode of the podcast series Navigating to Net Zero, an inside look from Macquarie Asset Management at what's really involved in transforming their global portfolio of infrastructure, agricultural, and real estate assets to support the transition to a low-carbon and climate-resilient economy and build sustainable long-term value. Until next time. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only, and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objective will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed, without independent verification, on the accuracy and completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management, MAM, is the asset management division of Macquarie Group. MAM is a full-service asset manager, offering a diverse range of products across public and private markets, including fixed income, equities, multi-asset solutions, private credit, infrastructure, renewables, natural assets, real estate, and asset finance. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, any Macquarie Group entity noted in this podcast is not an authorized deposit-taking institution for the purposes of the Banking Act 1959, Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these other Macquarie Group entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank. Macquarie Bank does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these other Macquarie Group entities. In addition, if this podcast relates to an investment, the investor is subject to investment risk, including possible delays in repayment and loss of income and principal invested, and none of Macquarie Bank or any other Macquarie Group entity guarantees any particular rate of return on or the performance of the investment, nor do they guarantee repayment of capital in respect of the investment.